it's Liz Kelly. Here are a few things to check out in the Ringer universe before the end of the week. We've got an oral history on the movie Rounders 20 years later going up on Thursday. So read that and then check out the Rewatchables episode that Bill and Sean did on the movie earlier this month. And don't forget about our extensive football coverage. We have a new pod going up every day of the week on the Ringer NFL show and more football content on the Bill Simmons podcast, Dual Threat and Against All Odds. Subscribe to those and more on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, bud? I'm okay. Uh, I'm a little off focus today because uh, you see these the Jordan Matthews quote today. No, I did not see that. Okay, so Jordan Matthews said that he has a baby only because, he's about to have a baby, because he played in Buffalo and because there's nothing else to do there. Okay, interesting. And then Chris Hairston chimed in. So the phrase that, that, that Jordan used was, I have a Buffalo baby because just pure boredom just created a baby. And uh, Chris Hairston, who plays the Chargers, said, uh, yeah, my, my youngest is a Buffalo baby too. So I have so many questions. I have a lot of questions. The most pressing being, uh, what if Phillip Rivers were drafted by the Bills? You'd have 27 kids right now. So I don't, I'm not trying to be judgmental here. Is Jordan Matthews married? Is this he a, is. a baby he, he had yes. with his wife? His wife is a professional soccer player who had to take the year off. Okay. So because Jordan, Jordan Matthews was bored, yeah. even if his wife didn't want to have a kid, she had to take a year off from soccer? So the quote is, there's nothing to do there except each other. That's great family Are we ending planning. the show? Is that it? I, I, what, what are they going to tell that kid when he sees that yeah, for the I first know. time? I know. It, you, were, you weren't an accident, Timmy, but you were the product of pure boredom. Just absolutely pure boredom. Shot across the bow at Wegmans in Buffalo, at Anchor Bar, at the weird casino that's there. True story. I have never been to Buffalo. I have. The only time I've been in that region, I guess I've driven through Buffalo because I've been to Niagara Falls, but I've never been to Buffalo. Like stayed there for more than maybe like a gas station. When stop. I wrote about the about Miles Garrett a couple weeks ago, he was all in on Niagara Falls. Big time uh, Niagara Falls guy. I have nothing else to say about Big it. Big time. Miles Garrett is going to be the first ever free agent in four years or five years who is making his decisions based on the museums and sites around the town. I'm not sure that would bring you to Niagara Falls. No, he, loved, he loves the water. So go to Los Angeles. Well, no, it's not that. I mean, it's just like, it's nothing scientific here. Listen, man, take All it right. up with Miles Garrett. So... <laughs> We do have, a, just so the listener knows, we do have a football show coming. We are going to do a football show. At, now that we've gotten our obligatory Buffalo digs in for the week, which usually they come not in the form a, of I, we're not, Nathan Peterman. We're not digging at Buffalo. It's them. It's the poor Now that we've touched on baby someone digging on Buffalo, let's get to the NFL stuff from the week. As always, we're going to start the Thursday show with the headlines that have kind of trickled out. Over the past couple of days, sure. let us start with uh, some dysfunction in Pittsburgh. Is that what we're going to call it? Yeah. I mean, we were sort of marching toward this for a while with the Le'Veon Bell stuff. And now that has grown to include Antonio Brown. How much stock do you put in this Antonio Brown stuff? Do you feel like it's just a lot of noise or no? I mean, we're going to find out on Sunday if there's been any. First of all, or Monday, rather. They're playing the Bucks, who are a pretty good team. And if the Steelers... Nah. Let's take it easy. I mean, they're they're the two Bucks and have oh. looked good over the first they're two, two games. and oh, and they have, they've had the best offense in football through two weeks statistically. That's fine. The Bucks have looked good over two weeks. That is what I am willing to say. And the Steelers have looked bad. Yes. So, well, the Steelers' offense looked pretty good against the Chiefs, but I think a lot of teams can look pretty. So good a couple against of days. First of all, it speaks to the consistency of the Pittsburgh Steelers that they start out oh one and one, score thirty seven points in a loss, and then they just completely melt down. Like, there's like 20 franchises who'd be like, hell yeah. So I went back and I watched the Steelers-Chiefs uh, game earlier this week. Okay. And I'm watching the All-22, and it's just I want to watch Mahomes. And I tweeted this yesterday, but 
I'm not super good at figuring out like what coverages are being played on certain plays. Mm -hmm. That's like the gap in my football knowledge. Like that's the thing I struggle with the most. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching these plays and I'm just like, what coverage is this? Like, do I know even less than I thought about what teams do in, in like on specific plays? So a buddy of mine who worked in the league for a little bit called me later in the day because I had tweeted something about like this route distribution the Chiefs used. And I was asking him about a couple of these specific plays. And I'm like, what are they doing on that play? Like, it, it looks mm-hmm. like they're playing cover two on this side. But like, what are those guys doing? Like, what could the safety possibly be doing? And he's like, yeah, I have no idea. Like, they're just busted coverage. He's like, you're not misunderstanding what's going on here. Sure. And I was like, oh, good, good. So for my own just satisfaction, that was a nice moment. But the Steelers were an absolute mess on defense. Combine that with the fact that their best player just didn't show up to work on Monday and Le'Veon Bell is still not there. It seems like this is going in a pretty worrisome so direction. So it's clear to me at this point that if you were to place a bet, you'd place the bet on Le'Veon Bell not showing up until he absolutely has to, which is in seven weeks? Week 10, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's not good. Uh, and now we're in a debate over whether Brown or Roethlisberger is more valuable to the offense which I didn't see happening, but here we are. What do you think the answer to that is? I, I, I don't think there is a clear answer because... Usually I, with a quarterback, it would be obvious, be clear cut. Sure, and so there's a couple of things. Number one, in 2015, when he caught, what, 1,800 yards from three different quarterbacks, Roethlisberger, Vic, and Jones, we sort of saw that that Brown struggled a little bit when Roethlisberger wasn't in. Having said that, this is an Evan Silva tweet from two years ago. There was a 16-game span before that, 2015 going into 2014, where over the 16 games, so a a regular season sample size, Brown had 152 catches and 2,039 receiving yards when he was playing with Ben Roethlisberger. So I don't think it matters if it's a chicken and egg thing. I don't think, you know, I remember getting into this Last year when I wrote the 07 Patriots story, I'd go, I'd go on the radio in Boston and they'd say, what was the key? Was it Moss? Was it Welker? Was it Brady? I don't know how much that any of that matters. What matters is when these guys get together and play, it's really special. If you had to pick, if you were the Steelers, mm-hmm. if, if you were Kevin Colbert right now, mm-hmm. you have to pick one of those guys for the next three years. Who is it? So because Ben Roethlisberger is old, I would pick Antonio Brown. So would I. But if, if Ben Roethlisberger were Ben Roethlisberger at age 31, it's a different scenario. That's not where we are, though. I understand that. But they also, but, but also in this, this hypothetical is not going to come to pass. They're not going to have to choose, but it's not going to be a Kobe Shaq thing. No, this is, a, this is an exercise based on some of the, just the stuff that's happened over he's the last He's 36 week. years old. He's not, you know, he's not on the TB12 method as far as, <laughs> as, far as fitness. He's not, he's no avocado ice cream going here. I remember when, like, before the season, when everyone was just like, oh, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger's in better shape. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's always a strange thing. I mean, the Flacco, Flacco narrative is like that, too. It's like, Joe, would you say you worked hard once Lamar Jackson was drafted? And he's kind of like, uh, I can't really say that because that implies I just mailed in the past three years. He was yeah, like, ben oh, I've been working hard. Like, it's one of those guys where you see him for the first time. And it's like, man. <laughs> Good for you. It's crushing it. (laughs) It's a great career to be looking like that. I mean, it's odd because Ben Roethlisberger is a physical player. He's not Dan Marino back there where he's just, he can be big and just sort of take two steps back and chuck the ball 50 yards downfield. He does move. In terms of, I, I guess that Peyton Manning will always have the crown for dudes who are not physically impressive, he but had somehow four became neck like, surgeries, and he was the best player in football. He didn't had dad body when there. he came out of Tennessee. He didn't move. It was amazing. Yeah, they're very different players, but in terms of like the overall title for like the dude where you see him for the first time in person without a shirt off, is like that guy. I mean, Peyton Manning will always have that belt. Okay, have you ever seen Wyatt Tittle? No, I've never been around Wyatt Tittle. No, 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 no. I don't mean physical. I mean, he was extremely balding. He looked like he was 50 when he was like 25. That's a good one. I have seen pictures of Wyatt Tittle. Yeah, no, no. It's just, it's mostly the hair. It's a type of hair that that would just not happen now. All right, before we move on, let's just very briefly, 
Are you worried about the Steelers? Do you feel like this is actual cause for concern? Yeah, I'm worried if they lose Monday night. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about I'm the worried Steelers now. because, okay, okay. I, I'm worried about the Steelers because we have talked a lot about how unprecedented the golden age of quarterbacks is, that sort of upper age limit there. And at some point, some of these 36, 37, 38-year-old guys are going to start to fail. And it's entirely possible that Roethlisberger just doesn't have the ability to save a season like he did a couple of years ago. The only reason where I think that we should pump the brakes on any Steelers concern is that the AFC is still so weak. Yep. I, I mean, the, and the AFC North is, is... Yes. Yes. Did you see the I, Ravens got fined again for breaking some... They are the all-time rule? cheaters. It's amazing. They've done like 10 different things. It's a communication thing now. Shouldn't you be... If you're cheating constantly, shouldn't you be better? The, yes, the equipment managers apparently didn't know that you could have more than one guy with the mic, and the coaching staff didn't know there were there was more than one player with they the microphone. They also have OTA, OTA violations, like every time they host yes. an OTA. Yes, every they have no team has committed practice violations more. It's unbelievable. I can think of one team that's had more violations. You think the Patriots have cheated more often? Than, I, I guess know. the Patriots have not gotten caught as often. I, I don't know. I'm definitely not getting into that situation. I'm just saying All right. the Ravens seem to be getting fined a lot. While we're on the Patriots, uh, let's chat about Josh Gordon very briefly. I mean, obviously, it's huge news. He gets traded to New England for a conditional fifth-round pick. How do you think this is going to go? I think it's it doesn't necessarily worry me in the same way we were on a podcast yesterday with Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo. Uh, Bill was very worried about this. I think that it's a kind of a no-lose situation because there's a couple things. Number one here, here is that this team made the Super Bowl in a year where they signed Ocho Cinco, Albert Hainsworth, those guys. They've had a lot of reclamation projects and they ran sort of the gamut as far as working and not working. The spectrum was very wide. But no sort of locker room cancer or the, a player with the possibility to be a locker room cancer has ever sunk the season for the Patriots. There are some locker rooms where a guy can come in and just ruin the culture. It's just not going to happen in New England. Belichick would, is, is, I know that there's a lot of different ways to look about Belichick, but one thing he actually is, is he's fairly humble in his decision-making. If he made a mistake, he will move on very, very quickly. Think about how many... That's where I'm sitting with this. So, like, if it doesn't work, he's just going to move on. He does it all the time. If if, it literally... If if Josh Gordon doesn't look good on Sunday and he's like, I don't know, he's kind of a dick, like, Belichick could cut him next week. I don't know. I mean, he just... he, He does that sort of thing all the time. Josh Gordon isn't really a bad guy, though, is he? He's just someone who doesn't show up. I mean, like, and if well, that's no, the case, no, they'll no, just no. Cut I don't him. think he's a bad guy. I just think I think that it's a I, when I say locker room cancer, I don't mean he's just going to start like you know screwing up the the chemistry by getting in fights or whatever. He's not Percy Harvin, but I, what I mean is that like if he's not getting with the program in some locker rooms that can hurt morale and in New England you'll just get cut I think the ceiling is very very high I think Josh Gordon still has a lot of athleticism I think he's he has the capability to in the right system be a very good player do I think that's going to happen not necessarily but I do know this is very low risk so I'm certainly not freaking out about it it's a fifth round pick he's making $697,000 for the rest of the season yeah you do this a hundred times out of a hundred who cares if it goes bad you cut him the next day and you move on I mean, this is a team that has cycled through Kenny Britton, Eric Decker. I mean, for the last however long. They signed Corey Coleman. I mean, how much is Corey Coleman making this year? I mean, I guarantee you it was about as much as... I guarantee you that Corey Coleman was a, pretty much the same price tag as Josh Gordon. Who cares? Yeah. It, it literally does not matter. You bring in a guy with that sort of talent, especially when you're hurting for a vertical option in your offense. Coleman, 630000 this year. So 790000 for Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's the same price. I mean, you do this. I don't know how it's going to go, but you do this. I'm excited to watch it. I mean, I feel like it could be awesome. It could be an instant hit. I also think that it could just never go anywhere. But the possibility for the former is worth the risk every single time. Agree. I just I just think there's not really a huge downside here. I totally agree with you. All right, let's move on. Let's get to this week's Take Shop. These are the... The takes that we're still working on a little bit 
They're not fully formed. We're still tinkering a tiny bit. Kevin, why don't you start? Okay. I'm, I'm delivering this take shop to be workshopped by the masses. Are we sure Carson Wentz should start this weekend? And this seemed to be a concern in the ringer slack last week when the Eagles lost and it felt like he was going to get put back on the field this week. I don't know if I'm that worried. Okay. Why do you think he shouldn't? If he's medically cleared, the guy's been practicing. Yeah, they've he's seen medically him. clear for contact on Monday. Is that right? Yes, Monday. He'll play on Sunday. I think the prevailing theory here is that if Nick Foles had looked better the first two weeks, then maybe they wouldn't have put him out there the same week that he was cleared. You would get him. Pra- you let him practice for a week. Yeah, you let him practice. Yeah. You get acclimated to it. The speed of the game is a big thing. I mean, I've talked a million times about you know ACL. There's just little things. Stepping up in the pocket, being comfortable, not bailing. I mean, I'm not. You got look at a guy like Derek Carr. That's not an ACL. That was a broken leg. But Derek Carr is getting rid of the ball in 2.1 seconds. Okay, if he never has a leg injury, never has a traumatic injury like that in 2016, does he hang in there a little bit more? Nah, that's always been his MO. Okay, I'm not 2.1 seconds, though. Nah, it's, it, that has always been his thing. The previous staff in Oakland was always frustrated with the fact that he just would refuse to push the ball. I mean, he really does not let plays develop. He takes stuff that's there very quickly. Maybe this is an exaggerated version, but he's always had that inclination. 2.1 seconds is if he does it over a full season, done over the last two weeks, would be the fastest any quarterback has ever gotten rid of the ball. In, I understand that, in but that's in his DNA. Of, I, I but that's it. not in Wentz's DNA. Okay, but no, no of course not. And Car- th- th- we were we were on a podcast yesterday, the same one I referenced earlier, and they said, who's going to be the best quarterback in three years? And I said, Carson Wentz. I think you look at the passing charts and you look at, you know, PFF did a, th- a breakdown of the routes and how much better he was at every single route than the rest of the league. And the answer is he can throw any route in, at an elite level. Doesn't matter. Post, in, out. He's re- some some receivers and some quarterbacks excel at, at at you know a handful of things. He's really good at everything. I think Carson Wentz is going to return to being an elite quarterback at the very latest, the week one of 2019. This might be a weird year for him. I just I worry a little bit about just you know a six day turnaround. Um, again, this is a take shop. I'm not even 100 convinced I'm right. I'm just throwing it out there. I just, I would love to have seen maybe one more, two more full starts. I can understand that. I also think that if he's physically ready, they've been watching him practice for a while. Yeah, of course. And I feel like they have a good handle on where is he, where he's at physically, how comfortable he looks, all that stuff. Also, this start looked a lot less scary a week ago. I mean, the Colts defense played very well against Washington. I mean, Darius Leonard looks awesome. And their interior of the defensive line, I I was very impressed by them. I mean, Brandon Scherf got hurt for a little bit in that game, but I thought that the Colts were just surprising. So, I mean, this is a defense that actually might have a couple guys on it. It's not going to be a walkover in the way you would have thought. So I can understand where you're coming from. I also just feel like if he's ready, if he's medically ready to play, he should just play. I mean, they are, they've been waiting for so long. It does feel like they've been in a holding pattern the first couple weeks. And I know Nick Foles is a hero, but it just, I don't know. You get the sense that they were just ready for this to happen and they needed it. Yeah, I get that. I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I think Carson Wentz, again, is going to be the best quarterback in football very, very soon. If he wasn't last year. I mean, I think until December 1st last year, he was the best quarterback in football. He can return to that very quickly. I just don't want to see any long-term damage. I mean, I can't even tell. I can't separate the Deshaun Watson thing right now. Is some of his play sort of him still recovering and and just the the mental uh, rehabilitation, which a lot of times takes longer than the physical just because you don't necessarily trust your leg and all that stuff? Or is it just he has a crappy offensive line and that's that? I can't. I think he's seeing ghosts right now. I agree. I mean, that that's where I lean, but I can I understand. But where when you're coming you say from, seeing ghosts, is that ghosts. because he gets hit on every other drop back or because yes. he tore his yes. ACL last year? That's what I mean. That's you what you I don't mean. think the ACL he's, has anything to do with it? It may be a compounding factor, but I would definitely attribute it much more to what's going on with that offensive line. I agree. I mean, we need to save Deshaun. We've already talked about it. All right. I've got two very quick ones. The first one I want to throw out there. I know it's only two weeks. I feel like Derwin James is going to be like an all-time draft miss by certain teams. Okay. 
to let that guy fall to 17 is just mind-boggling. I went back and I watched that game again and just looked at all of his plays. The amount of stuff he does, I can't even comprehend it. I mean, he, all right, so let's look at these numbers. He played 53 snaps. All right, so so far this season, he's played 53 snaps at free safety, 37 in the box, 13 as a slot corner, and 11 lined up on the line. He has six pressures as a pass rusher. That's twice as much as any other safety in the league. And he's had, uh, excuse me, he's had multiple pass breakups already. 12 safeties in the league have done that. This is all from PFF. This is his second game. He's two games in his career. Every once in a while, there's a guy that comes along. You watch him in college, and it's just like, that dude's good. Like, I don't know where he's going to play. I don't know what the answer is. That dude is good. Just play him everywhere. And I'm so glad the Chargers have embraced that. They've essentially said, we know exactly what this guy's skill set is. It is wide-ranging. He does a ton of stuff well, and we're going to let him do all of that. I mean, he had a sack, a tackle for loss, and then he ran 25 yards down the field with Charles Clay up the seam and just knocked the pass away. How many guys in the NFL can do all of that in a game? What's strange is that he's exactly what we thought he was going to be. Yes. It wasn't like, oh, wow, we just had no clue that this was going to happen. No, 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 we knew. And he just dropped for no reason. You watch the Bucs defense and you watch Chris Conte run around back there. It's like, I cannot believe this team does not have Derwin James. Yeah. Well, they have a run-stopping defensive tackle. Is that right? Awesome. Who hasn't played? Great stuff. Vitavia has not played. I was wondering if he had, or and I just hadn't seen him. But you know, there's only one player on the Bucks, and his name is Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's true. So it doesn't really matter. All right, I had one more very quick one. You mentioned this briefly on the pod we did with Russillo and Bill yesterday, but I want to dig into it a little bit more. Is Leonard Fournette good for the Jags? Mm. Is he a is he a positive influence on the Jaguars? So the theory being, and we've talked this on two pods now, is that they go into a conservative shell when they have a predictable conservative yeah, shell. Yeah, when they have Leonard Fournette, and when they don't have Leonard Fournette, they stay aggressive and they act like a functioning offense. I'm not saying I don't think Leonard Fournette is good. I think he's immensely talented. I actually think used in the right ways, he could be awesome but they just do such boring stuff with him. They line up, they pound the ball. It's just stuff that you see coming from a mile away. And I just, I watch that offense without him and they're just throwing it around. They're spreading it out. It's like, is this the best version of the Jaguars? So like, did they do this backwards? Queen Monday morning quarterback, the 2017 draft. Mah- sure. Mahomes and Deshaun Watson go after. Jamal Adams goes after. Marshawn Lattimore goes after. A lot of picks could have helped the, uh, the old Jaguars there. I mean, there's shit, no way they would pick a quarterback, though. Let me ask you a question: Is Christian McCaffrey a better fit for the Jaguars than Leonard Fournette? It's hard for me to say that. I don't think Leonard Fournette, in terms of his skills, is a bad fit. I think what Leonard Fournette does to Nathaniel Hackett in that offense is bad. I feel like Leonard Fournette could be a very decent pass catcher. I think they could absolutely use him in smart ways and give him the ball in the open field and just let him truck corners left and right. I don't think this is Leonard Fournette's fault. I just feel like what he motivates the Jaguars to be is a negative thing. I agree. All right, let's move on. I've been floating that. That's my That, for me, for, for the last two weeks, has been one step beyond a take shop. I don't know what that is. Oh, you're it's there. It's not quite a take, All right, but I'm not in the take shop with it. I'm driving I'm it out bit. of the take shop. It's, it's painted and ready to go. Here's why I'm still there. And here's why I'm just still tinkering. Bortles is Bortles. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if last week is just like something that will never happen for the rest of the season. And I also feel like Fernet is so talented that there is a way for them to positively use him and find the right role for him that still unlocks the rest of their offense. I have faith in his skills and his and just his overall talent and potential. So that's why I'm still you know working on it a little bit. Perfect. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by MyBookie. People always ask me for advice. Usually it's what team to bet on this week. The truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out MyBookie. I always tell people to bet with MyBookie. Trust me, guys, they are the best bet this season. 
They've been in the business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Not to mention they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Plus, for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So lay down some cash and win big today. You win, they pay. My bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 free pay on deposits over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code RINGERNFL when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use promo code RINGERNFL when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Now back to the show. All right, let's get to the three biggest games of the week. Let us start with with the king at this point, Patrick Mahomes. Mm. The Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, This is a fun one. I feel like there is going to be, as there was last week, a lot of scoring. Yeah, so Roto World had a good stat. Kansas City Chiefs are allowing 46.9 yards per possession to opposing offenses. That is the most in the National Football League. That should go without saying. Jimmy Garoppolo not asked to do a lot last week. Kind of a weird game. Very strange game a week ago. I think we're going to learn a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday, not just because he's he's kind of battling the new him, the new the new hype machine, but because this Kansas City defense, especially their secondary, is not very good. And if he can't take advantage of that, then I'm trending towards worrying about Jimmy Garoppolo. If you are playing fantasy football, I would buy low on George Kittle right now, right at this exact moment. He's seeing a ton of targets. He was getting held left and right against Detroit. I feel like that connection is going to be huge. And I feel like it's going to show up in a big way on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I love Dante Pettis. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be so fun in that offense. I really think this group is going to come around. You know, I feel like that the Detroit game was not quite there. They ran the ball extremely well. You know, so the passing game didn't necessarily, it wasn't clicking on all cylinders the way I felt it was going to. Uh, Matt Breida looks great. This really makes the, uh, Jarek McKinnon signing kind of looks silly. I mean, watching what Matt Breida is doing right now, it's like this is the argument against paying $7.5 million a year for a running back. He was fantastic. Ever notice how interesting it is that everything that a running back does makes investing a lot in a running back seem silly? Yes. Like, we just had the Fournette discussion. We'll have the Saquon Barkley discussion pretty much every other pod for the next 15 weeks. I don't know. Maybe a trend is emerging, Robert. Who knows? Maybe it is. I, I still have a lot of faith. Garoppolo has not played well, but I think that this offense is will find its stride. A couple of guys on the defense that I've been impressed by. I mean, for the most part, I guess just one. I really like Fred Warner. I, hey, I mean, he's just in my number one draft crush. Came in, has played well. You know, I just flying around. I mean, I think that's a great fit when they get Foster back. Yeah, I feel like that pairing. He's active. They activate him. Today. Yeah. So he'll be he'll, he's playing this week. So I feel like that pairing in the middle is going to be really fun. Uh, Weatherspoon has struggled. I, I was excited for him coming in. I felt like he was a guy that if he took a leap, it could be very important for their defense. Uh, he's had a rough go of it so far. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, I mean, this defense is going to have an issue against Kansas City, but I think all teams are. So Rivers McCown at uh, Football Outsiders did a thing for ESPN today, I think where he did the most unbalanced teams in the NFL. And it should not surprise you that the Chiefs are the most unbalanced in, in the sense they had the fourth best offense and the 31st best defense, the 27-place gap being by far the biggest in the NFL. And I think we're just going to get into these weekly things, especially when you play a good offense like San Francisco, just how many points can the Chiefs offense put up? What is the upper limit? And I think the answer at this point is enough. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't have enough faith in San Francisco's defense to say that the Chiefs aren't going to put up 35 again. Yeah, they put up 42. Yeah, I mean, this is... I believe what's happening right now. I'm writing about this on Thursday. Uh, just about how... Is the Fitzpatrick thing sustainable? Is it not? What are they doing that's different? And I feel like when you look at Tampa Bay and then you look at the Chiefs, with the Bucks, like, we've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick. We have a decade of Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know what he is. 
we don't know what Mahomes is. Who knows? I mean, he's not going to throw 80 touchdown passes, but could he throw 38? Probably. But why not? That group of weapons and the way they're playing right now, I just have every reason to believe that this is going to be one of the best offenses in the league the entire year, even if it's not what they're doing right now. Uh, yeah, but without a doubt. Let's get to the next one. The Battle of Los Angeles. Rams Chargers. Uh, Man, they are banging on pots and pans in the street here. I cannot even imagine. We can't I'm sure walk it's pandemonium. without anybody talking about Rams Chargers. This is a really fun game. I mean, obviously the Rams are just rolling right now. I mean, this is an offense that is completely stacked. I mean, the defense has been phenomenal. I mean, I don't know. It, watching the Rams over the last couple of weeks and watching the Chargers, it, it just feels like the Chargers are really going to struggle to move the ball. I mean, I am, am really disappointed just in general about the way the Chargers running game has looked. I mean, even against the Bills, they were really not getting a lot going. So if they can't run the ball and they have to sling it around against this secondary, I don't know how they're going to move it. So Joey Bose is out again. That's official. Yep. On defense, Phillip Rivers, high-octane offense. Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib have allowed 37 yards combined through two weeks. That's from Mike. I mean, obviously they Mike played Reiner. against... Uh, Derek Carr, who didn't know where he was, and Sam Bradford. I don't, but that's still I ridiculous. Care. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, as Mike Renner points out, 85 different cor- cornerbacks have allowed more than that on their own. They're stacked. They are exactly, they're the Derwin James of teams. We knew exactly what we were going to get from them, and they're doing it. And I think it's a the decent Ra- plan. I think the Rams are going to win this game quite easily. What do we think? Are, is, are, the, are the Chargers going to be the first team? that visit the Coliseum that don't have a large group of visiting fans, even though they play in the city. Oh, yeah. No, That's I, a bummer. Yeah. How many Chargers fans will be there? 12? Hey, what would happen if the Rams played at StubHub? No, there are, there are actual Rams no, fans, No, that's right? what I'm saying. I'm saying would the Rams invade StubHub? Yeah, probably. Wow. Why wouldn't they? I, I don't know. Because the Rams aren't that popular. If you're the Chargers in this game, how do you go about attacking that defense? I just feel like we're going to see so many Melvin Gordon receptions in this mm-hmm. game. I mean, I feel like the only way to kind of go at them in a smart manner is just to attack those linebackers. The Chargers have thrown the ball extremely well, but I just don't know how it's going to happen. I have no idea how they're going to actually get something going if it's not Gordon in the passing game. Yeah, I don't think the Chargers are going to win this game. I, I feel like the Chargers are a decent matchup for this team just in, in the sense that you know, they run so much 11. You pretty much have to stay in nickel the entire game. And the Chargers have the corners to just match up with those guys. But, man, they look so good. Cooks was awesome last week. I mean, just throwing him into that group, it's almost not even fair. All right, third game. Let's get to the NFC South matchup of the week, the Falcons <laughs> and the Saints. I got an interesting stat for you here. Okay. So, you know, last year, essentially, Alvin Kamara, no one in the league, faced eight or more man boxes less often. 16.67% of his carries, second in the NFL behind Gio Bernard. Mm-hmm. What do you think that number is this year? I, I don't, I actually don't know. 57.1. Hmm. He's second in the league again, except it's the opposite. Hmm. Only Royce Freeman has run into eight or more man boxes more often this year than Alvin Kamara. Wait, why is everyone stacking the box against Royce Freeman? I mean, I think they're just, that's just a personnel thing. Yeah. I mean, I assume that, like, that's what you know. Uh, Royce Freeman's got a lot of his carries near the goal line. Yeah. Like that's a big part of it as well. So I was curious about this. I was like, man, that is surprising. So I went back and I watched the game against Cleveland again. He had 13 carries. Three of those, only three, came out of 11 personnel or lighter. And two of those 11 personnel carries came with Austin Carr and Michael Thomas directly next to the line of scrimmage, almost like they were tight ends. So only one of his plays was an actual spread out formation where they ran the ball. That seems weird. I just don't understand how you're approaching your running game that way. I have no idea. What, I quietly don't know what's going on in New Orleans. They should have lost to the Browns. Maybe there's a rhyme or reason behind that, but that it was just odd to watch. I mean, when you had so much success doing the opposite last year. Why would you pack it in and run the ball? 
I mean, maybe it's just a lack of faith in Cam Meredith's health and Traquan Smith, and you feel like you need two tight ends on the field. But I was really surprised going back and watching that. It just did not look like the Saints offense we know. Yeah, I mean, I still believe Sean Payton is one of the best offensive minds in football. So I guess, I don't know, give it time. But I mean, last week was extremely weird, and week one was extremely weird. I mean, the Mark Ingram suspension is not that big of a deal. No, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. I thought it was going to, ha- I thought that Mark Ingram suspension was going to be like the Leonard Fournette injury. Just like, this is actually quietly good. Oh, I, I never thought that. I feel like they switch off so well. And I feel like that all No, I just meant a- like clear the way. I, I don't think that, that Ingram was a subtraction, but I just mean like clear the way for Kamara to become a you know a transcendent player. You get what That's I'm saying? That's fine, but I also feel like him being the lead back actually might be part of the reason behind this. He's not like the change of pace no, I guy agree. anymore that comes in in these weird scenarios. So, I, I mean, I, I don't understand why you would say, okay, we're going to use Alvin Kamara as this like, bang into the line running back because we don't have Mark Ingram anymore. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I mean, have Atlanta's no run defense struggles. I, 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 I no feel like Kamara could catch 20 passes this weekend. Yeah, uh, I mean, because they've lost defense. the entire spine of their defense. If they can, yes. I mean, this is this is like the Jimmy Garoppolo versus Kansas City thing. If the, if the Saints can't take advantage of what has happened to Atlanta the last couple of weeks, that's on them. Yeah, I totally agree. Another thing uh, to, I mean, I feel like Atlanta's offense looked really good uh, last week. Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman's good, man. What do you think Tevin Coleman is going to warn in free agency this offseason? He's number one in the NFL in breakaway percentage. I don't know if you saw this. So he's, he's a free agent in the offseason. The Falcons have $26 million in room. There's no way they can bring him back. Right. Jared McKinnon made $7.5 million in free agency this year. Tevin Coleman probably deserves more money than Jarek McKinnon, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, that, that, that McKinnon deal was a little bit above what McKinnon was probably owed. Sure, but that's now the market. I mean, that sets the bar. If you're Tevin Coleman's agent, you're walking into free agency. Aren't you starting with that number? Yeah, I'm, Freeman was making, what, 80 a year? So it's eight and a half, I yeah. believe. So if they paid both of them, obviously they'd be paying $16 million to their running back room. No team in the NFL pays that much. Uh, the Bills are number one. I think that's a $12.72 million uh, total cap hit to that group this year with LaShawn McCoy. Uh, um, obviously, the Cowboys are up there. The yeah, Jags are up there. My advice is to not build the way the Bills built. Or with like the old school uh, wow. Panthers where you paid two running backs like price, like the sticker price. What the so, hell? I mean, yeah, what the hell was guaranteed that? to hit the market. What was that? a great question. Good for you, Marty Herney. And so, then he got I his mean, job back. Yes. It's amazing. Um, yeah. It, it makes absolutely no sense. So you have Tevin Coleman. I mean, I always loved how much they were getting the ball on the perimeter to him last week. A lot of pitches. I mean, he's just so good if he can get that edge. I mean, you're looking at a guy, as he hits for agency, with 386 career carries. Yeah. That guy's going to get paid. Yeah. It, it's funny. I talked to Dimitrov about this, about the running back aging curve and whether or not it's changing just with the, I guess, the limits on carries a lot of teams have. You know, we talk about the rule of 370. I think that, you know... Well, that's not even... No one's going to get there anymore. Never. I mean, Todd Gurley has not carried the ball 300 times in in a season in his career, and he he never will. And has 386 carries in his career. Right. And so what I'm saying, you know, it's interesting, but I think Dimitrov wants a second guy like that, but I just don't think you can bring a guy. I don't, I, I think the Tevin Coleman price tag is going to get a little too rich for them. Absolutely. Grady Jarrett's a free agent. I mean, you have to re-sign Grady Jarrett if you're going to re-sign one of those guys. So, I mean, there's just no way financially they can do it. They're spending way too much on their offense. Also, Andy, Andy Levitre out, out for the, for the season. season. That's worth mentioning. Again, this team was immensely healthy last season. Such great injury luck. And it, it's already come back. It's already come back on them. We see this all the time. I mean, Andy Levitre is maybe the least important player on their offense. Who's the right, except for Brandon Fusco? But it's still, I mean, you, when you have to shift guys around, when you start the musical chairs, it's never a good thing. Yeah. I mean, the injury luck, I mean, it's been a little bit ridiculous through, through two weeks. I mean, I just, I do think that the Deion Jones and Ken O'Neill injuries set them back to the point where I don't necessarily expect a playoff spot from them. And then Levitre, I mean, it, it just it just gets worse. It's not like Matt Ryan has loaded up to the point where I think that their skill players are going to overcome all here. They no, I totally agree. Sark. They looked pretty good last week. Yeah. I, I was impressed. 
So, I mean, it's, we'll see if they can keep that going. But I love the Calvin Ridley play, the, th- uh, the third down call in the, the red zone. That was excellent. So I, like I, I feel like those guys are good enough. They're going to be all right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, watching the Brown Saints game again from last week, Teron Armstead is incredible. <laughs> watching him go against Miles Garrett is amazing. Uh, I, this is kind of a, I'm, I'm doing two geek out things. This is my first one, I guess. The, the difference he does with his pass sets where he'll like, fake certain types of sets to kind of coax defensive ends into doing a certain thing and then he'll react to that Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. I mean, that is like, I have a PhD in offensive line play stuff. He is a fantastic player. I mean, it's right now, I'm not sure when healthy, maybe Tyron Smith. I mean, David Bakhtiari is an incredible pass blocker as well. But I mean, Arstead is right up there. That hasn't really been on my radar. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked about that. All right, let's move on to my actual uh, Maze Geeks Out segment of the week. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the play calling to watch in these uh, in the Chiefs 49ers game. And specifically, just what a couple, what these teams do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the plays, we talked about this very briefly on the Rosillo Bill pod yesterday, but I didn't get into it. Uh, on the first Kelsey touchdown uh, against the Steelers, they lined up in shotgun. And they brought, I believe, Tyree Kill across in motion to the right. And that's where Kelsey was in the slot. I tweeted a a gif of this. But you'll see Mahomes scoot Hunt over to his right. They run four verticals out of that set. When a lot of teams run four verticals, they'll run like a little burst route with a running back to kind of keep the middle of the field occupied. Instead of that, they ran a swing with Kareem Hunt. And what that did is it pulled the flat defender up. So what essentially that leaves you is against cover two, you have Hunt or Hill riding or running wide open down the right sideline and you have Kelsey sprinting up the seam and you have to have that deep half safety decide between them. And he didn't decide either. Both of them were wide open. And that's like the little tweaks when you watch the Chiefs and it's like, holy shit, they're good at this. Like that is a perfect distribution of those three routes to put the most stress possible on a defense. So when you're watching this week, and I'm, it's going to have to rely on replays because you can't really see this stuff on the broadcast angle necessarily. But just watch the distribution of where those guys are and the spacing of those routes. They do such an incredible job of making defenders wrong just by how these plays are designed. So I just want to talk big picture for a second. Andy Reid loses Doug Peterson, replaces him with Matt Nagy. Loses Matt Nagy, replaces him with the running backs coach. And they're getting better on offense. Every single time, they're getting better on offense. So Nagy told me this before the season. I thought it was super interesting. He was an assistant in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, that's where he got his start. And in Philly, Marty Morningwig essentially ran the offense. Mm -hmm. You know, he obviously called the plays, but uh, he ran the meetings. He did the installs. You know, Marty Morningwig was in charge of the offense. And when they got there to Kansas City, in the first meeting they had, Reed comes in and he essentially, on the table, puts like the entire two-minute hurry up they're going to run that season. He's like, I came up with this. Mm -hmm. And now he does the install. He's in charge. That is Andy Reed's offense. Yep. Which I think you're seeing the rewards of that. He's a really damn good coach. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it the fact that he kind of was reinvigorated when he got to KC and because there wasn't this, this long-term, you know, stable program in place, he's like, all right, I got to take the reins again. Do you know what his winning percentage is in Kansas City? 67%. It's amazing. It was 58% I mean, it is, in Philadelphia he is, when he almost made the playoffs basically every year. It's an incredible, I mean, he is such an incredible coach. He's he, had a he, winning he, season every single year. Went nine and seven one year in Kansas City. He's a really good coach, gang. The designs of that offense are so great. I mean, I, I, I think Mahomes is really good, and I think that he's playing fantastic, but I also think that he's gotten so much of a leg up just by what that offense look, looks like on paper. And then uh, you, we know how I, show, I feel about Shanahan. I, I mean, just watch some of the play action stuff that happens. Just watch how they manipulate the middle of the field by moving linebackers, everything else, by you know sending tight ends and kind of 
weird, like weird routes, weird kind of just like bursts off the line out of play action coming across the formation. I mean, the guy schemes people open in a way that very few coaches in the NFL do. And you can say the same for Reed. I mean, these are two of the best going at it. And that's what I'm most excited to watch on Sunday. Okay. Time for the time for the truth. Truth bomb. What do we call in the segment? Sneaky truth. Sneaky truth. Kevin's dirty secret. Mm. Something like that. We're going to, we're going to have to take shop. A name for that? Yeah, that sounds good. We're going to change it in week four. Okay. So let's open the Seahawks for a second. Just saw this on PFF. Earl Thomas, best safety in the NFL so far this season. Exactly what we thought he was going to be. I think the defense is pretty good. It's struggling. It's struggling without Wagner no, and, and with the back. I think they have, I think that they have, for what they have right now, they're playing as well as they can play. Fair. That's, that's my, my viewpoint on this. That offense is what it is. And that's the truth here. That offense is not going to get better because, and I saw a writer say this, I'm not sure, they chose philosophy over the person. They chose to go the Brian Schottenheimer route because they wanted to run a Brian Schottenheimer type offense. No who wants to do that? I, I can tell you who, the Seattle Seahawks. Everyone knew that Brian Schottenheimer was going to be a disaster as an offensive coordinator. I like Brian Schottenheimer personally. But as an offensive coordinator, we knew exactly what we were going to get, and we got it. The Brian Schottenheimer hire is the Khalil Mack trade of hires. We That's all, worse. We it's, all, it's indefensible. At least the Khalil Mack trade is defensible in some way. <laughs> I think they're both pretty bad, dude. What I'm saying is that we looked at it, and we were like, wow, this is a bad idea. You probably shouldn't do this. And then it turned out that that was the 100% correct take. These are two of the rare instances where conventional wisdom is 100% correct. The run game thing is bizarre. I think they can't make up their mind on how they want to approach the run game in Seattle right now. I think that the offensive line has created a situation where Russell Wilson cannot be Russell Wilson, and then everything flows through that. Um, I think the offense is too conservative, and I don't see any reason to believe that this offense is going to get any better. Did you see that stretch where they Wilson went to the line against the Bears? Wilson went to the line, he checked, they ran the play, went back to the huddle, came back to the line again, they checked again, and they called timeout with 17 seconds left on the playcock? Yeah. So Carol tried to explain this away by saying they were trying to get in the right play, which that's an interesting thing to do when you're there's 17 seconds left on the play clock. It just, and Wilson was clearly frustrated. And it just doesn't look like he has any faith in what they're sending into the game right now. Maybe, and why maybe, would you? Maybe Russell Wilson is frustrated because he's 29 years old. That's an age where I think 29 through about 32 are your peak years of quarterback because you still have the physical tools and you're smart enough to process things. You know a lot about football, okay? That's why typically, you know, that the early 30s is, is where you peak. And maybe he's looking around. Doug Baldwin is nursing an injury that is going to hamper him all season, even if he plays the majority of these loss games. For them. He's so important to what they do. When we have no idea what his... his, his outlook is this season, but he has basically said that it's going to hamper him all season. So maybe the frustration on Russell Wilson's side is that he knows his peak years might be wasted. The offensive line has no path to getting better. Pete Carroll has hired Brian Schottenheimer, even though he should have gone out and gotten a guy who's going to maybe accentuate Russell Wilson's strengths. If you're Russell Wilson right now, how are you feeling long-term? I saw a thing the other day, Jason Lock and Fora said at first, that they haven't talked extension. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have not talked extension. Now, it's not entirely, you know, it's, it's not urgent for them. He signed the four-year deal in 2015. But if you're Russell Wilson, who, by the way, hired his baseball agent, came from a baseball background. He, he tried to change the game a little bit with that contract. Didn't really work, but he signed a four-year $87 million deal. 61 guaranteed. He's an unrestricted free agent after 2019. If you're Russell Wilson, are you not looking at it and saying, I can be the rich man's Kirk Cousins? 
I can reach free agency somehow, have a bidding war and make an ungodly sum of money on a team that I can basically, that will build around me instead of actively trying to harm me. I give you 20 to one odds that Russell Wilson is not on the Seahawks at the start of next season. Would you take 2019? That? I think he's there in 2019. I think he's there. I what also, do you think they could get for him? So wait, wait. So, so Pete Carroll is also 67 years old. So is Pete Carroll going to want to stick around for another rebuild? That's a good point. If you could get three first-round picks for Russell Wilson, would you do it? Yes. If I'm the Seahawks? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't see a clear path to winning the Super Bowl with him. I just think there's too many holes on the team. I think you just, maybe you blow it up a little bit. I think Russell Wilson, in my infamous quarterback rankings of 2016, I ranked him as the best quarterback in football. And I still think he is at the upper echelon. I just think the infrastructure is not there for him. I get upset about it just as a football fan. I think Russell Wilson should be in the peak years of his career, and I don't like it. Do I think that he has a chance to play the rest of his career with Seattle? Absolutely. He's Mr. Go Hawks and all that stuff. But I'm just starting to think when I look at the Seahawks team and what they've built around him that maybe this is not the place for him. Would you trade three first-round picks for Russell Wilson if you were another team? So who has an excess of first-round picks? The Oakland Raiders. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't do it. From them. It's too many holes. Would you do it if you're... Hmm. I mean, I don't know who's a quarterback away. Are the Jag, what if you're the Jaguars? The Jags, are, the Jags are 11 million over the cap in 2019 already. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's your problem. That is the team I was thinking of, but there's just no way they can make that work. There's not many candidates. That's the problem. So many teams have quarterback plans that they're committed to that it just doesn't feel like the market would be there. I mean, the Vikings, obviously... There's a reason they did the Kirk Cousins thing. The Jets are now out of it with Darnold for the foreseeable future. Cardinals are spoken for. I think the fact there were five first-round quarterbacks this year sort it of— changes the conversation. It changes sure. the conversation a little bit. You know, I have an idea. If—so I don't really know. I mean, how long do we think someone like Phillip Rivers is going to play? How long do we think That's someone like— Drew Brees is going to play. And, and obviously, the yeah, cap, but the I cap don't think stuff, those teams no, are willing to give up that much with those guys still there, obviously, even if it's the future. Obviously. And then, you know, the, this, you know, the Steelers are another good example. They're not going to give up three first round picks, but, you know, I, I don't, I think one of those guys have to retire first. They're not going to, I think do I a, agree. It's not going to be a Teddy Bridgewater situation where they give up a second round pick while the guy's still there. I mean, if you're going to trade two or three first round picks, the guy has to play immediately. That's not a future building thing. I totally agree. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk about one of those uh, first-round quarterbacks very briefly. Uh, Sam Darnold and the Jets playing against the Browns tonight. Uh, what do you think? What are you looking for? I don't care. I'm kidding. Um, uh, Jets win, but the Browns give it, give it a go. Yeah, I, I, we'll see what happens. I, the Browns have been very disappointed so far. You know so what? Far. I, I got to tell you. So you know how I keep saying that I'm not picking anybody except the Patriots to win? The AFC, like sure. we just, you just can't do it. Even if even if the Chiefs are up fourteen points going into the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game, I'm just gonna be like, until the clock strikes zero, I'm picking the Patriots. Right? That is exactly how I feel about the Browns winning a game. I'm not going to pick the Browns to win a game until they win a game. All right. On that note, that's all we got for this week, guys. As always, really appreciate you listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.